comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No internet, no GPS, no text messages, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. St. Patrick's Day, and welcome to episode 114 of the Walking Dead TV podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by the illustrative Aaron North and Jim Dietz. How are you guys doing? Doing very well. Uh, hey, don't bother me. I'm over here looking at these wildflowers, guys. <laughs> Just keep looking at those flowers, Jim. I'm looking at these wildflowers. I just can't stop looking at them. So I use the word illustrative because one of our listeners, uh, now let's, I'm going to apologize right now because I'm very white and it's St. Patrick's Day, which means there's been some uh, imbibing and my pronunciation may be off, but I believe, who I believe you will pronounce Shailen Benesavanga, who took four of us, uh, Jim, Aaron, myself, and Russ, and illustrated pictures of us and posted them on our Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group, which you should go and check out right now if you haven't already. And they're awesome. So, first off, thank you, sir, because they're they're really cool. They're so good. I thought that he had, you know, like, just used an app or something or Photoshop to really quickly take a photograph and augment it into looking illustrated. But after looking at his, uh, his Facebook page, this dude seems to be, like, a legit pen or marker or paint, etc. on canvas and paper artist, not to put down digital artists, because I, I can't do that either, but this seems to be like legit hardcore art, which is awesome. I I, I love it. I love. I, I immediately made it my new Facebook profile picture, and I'll probably use it in other various profile picture forms in the near future as well. I, I think it's just a, 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 a it, it really, I felt like it captured me perfectly. I looked at the, the twinkle in my eye and I was like, yes, this is, this is, this is nailed it. There's a certain joie de vivre in yours. <laughs> my, there's a certain Ron Swanson-ish uh, aspect to mine. And I like that because I like Ron Swanson. So thank you so much. My, my wife loves the drawing. It's great. So yes, thank you very much, sir. I also made it my Facebook poster. I also did a profile picture poster. I don't know what that's talking about. It's the beer. Anyway, yeah, speaking of which, guys, uh, anybody else drinking for St. Patrick's Day? What do you have? I'm uh, I'm sober as a clam because I don't drink, actually. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. And I'm having uh, green tea because, uh, you know, I have children. Well, fine. I'm having Hoogarten, uh because even though I am a quarter Irish, I prefer Belgian white beers because they're at least potable. Anyway. I'm the exact opposite of Bob. I, I don't drink, and I have plenty of friends, and I don't walk around by myself. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tonight, we're not here to discuss alcohol, as interesting as that might be. We're here to discuss episode 414 of The Walking Dead, The Grove, uh, which was directed by Michael E. Satrazimus and written by Scott M. Gimple, the current showrunner. 
I'm going to the Grove tomorrow to see Divergent. That doesn't matter. I just wanted to say that. I would avoid looking at any wildflowers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or small children <laughs> in general. Generally just because you should always avoid small children at a movie theater. If you find a box of mice, you might want to be worried about that. It might be tough avoiding small children when I'm seeing the movie Divergent, but we'll see well, that's if I can true. make do. <laughs> that is true. My sister is very excited about that movie. She's a fan of the books. I can't say I share her enthusiasm after watching the trailer, but... That's I haven't read them, point. so like I, I don't know. I have no idea what to expect. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had originally thought from you know the scenes we saw last week of this week's episode that this was going to have Rick and Michonne and Carl in it as well. But no, this is a all Tyrese, Carol, Lizzie, Mika, and Judith episode. Uh, yeah, I did. I pretty much just figured that it'd be this. Like, if we're going to get one and a half Beth and Daryl episodes, I can only assume that Tyrese and the crew, the gang, would get their entire episode. And yeah, they did. So. Well, I would say after watching it, I'm certainly very happy that that's what they did. But I'd also just kind of assume that they'd be starting to meet up at, by, by this point. Uh huh. Okay. I think this is uh, the most powerful episode we've had in this half of the season by far. I mean, with everything. I mean, even though it's. Yeah, you know, and like I said, you know, last uh, episode, I really appreciate the fact they're taking the time to do some character building by focusing on small, the smaller groups as they've broken apart, rather than trying to shove everybody into every episode. And uh, this is just, uh, I don't know, a very powerful episode, man. Very, very brutal, and I'm, I'm still in kind of shock and awe that they got that they did this on you know, broadcast television. I'm sure we'll we'll get well, obviously we'll get to this as we you know talk about the actual episode. Actually, I, I plan I could... on skipping the ending this episode. Okay, never mind. No, I, I, um, I, I certainly think there are two very good scenes in this episode, and I think there's one obviously very shocking scene. But I, 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 yeah, I can't say that I. It's a standout for me. Besides events that, besides particular events that take place, and what The Walking Dead's done so far in terms of shocking the audience with its content. I wanted to bring up a quick thing, too, because I, I know there is, and not everyone, like, follows these kind of reports, and I didn't even try to, but, like, I know there was a lot of, like, tweets and Facebook articles and essays and things about, like, this episode's the one not to miss, and I just, I don't know what that's supposed to mean to me. Like, it's it feels like that's just, like, a weird spoiler that implies, like, someone's going to die as opposed to making the effort to just have you excited for the show like it seems like saying this week's the episode not to miss is like well this is the most popular show on tv right now like obviously i wasn't going to skip it and thanks for spoiling the fact that someone's probably going to die i don't like does that mean the other episodes suck compared to this one i don't i don't know what that's i'm supposed to take away from that i just take away from it that it's going to be one people are talking about at the you know water cooler or whatever yeah so it's, it's like office. why why tell me like why tell me that like that just that seems like it spoils something for me yeah Walking Dead is all about the fallout after the zombie apocalypse, you know, occurs. It's not, it's, it's not about the day after. It's there 20, even, you know, 28 days later. It's about after that and how it impacts the people that have survived. And this showing the way that it impacted on Lizzie and what the aftermath of that and what, you know, how it plays out and everything, I think is very much in the spirit of what the book and the TV show really are about and should be about more. So that's why I like this episode. Plus, we got to see more of Tyrese. We got to have a lot more of his character built up. We got a lot more good moments with Chad Coleman really giving us a little more of Tyrese rather than just, you know, a, you know, a few grunts, groans, and stares off into the distance, much like, you know, we had Michonne first, you know, the, the season when she was all grumpy cat, and she came out and was kind of acting more, and, and, and we're getting to see more of her character. Now we're getting to see more of Tyrese, one of my favorite characters in the comic. So another reason I liked it. He even took off his hat. And he whipped out his hammer. When he took off his hat, I literally exclaimed, that comes off? Like, that, that's the reaction I had. 
Uh, so we start the episode with the five members of the cast that we spend our episode with, uh, continuing their journey to Terminus along the railroad tracks. Carol and Tyrese discuss the probability of Mika and Lizzie's survival, and Carol notes that Mika is too gentle and Lizzie is confused about Walker's art. Yeah, no kidding. I um, I have two other alternate titles for The Grove. One was um, Of Mice and Mika, and the, the other is Flowers for Lizzie Non. I thought those either of those were... Uh... We're good substitutes. And for any of our listeners who don't understand the reference, read a book. <laughs> Books. <laughs> They're what's for They're dinner. They're cool. <laughs> it's not even so much that she's confused about the what the walkers are, so she doesn't see them as something different. She just or dangerous. Pe- yes, or dangerous, exactly. So they stop to rest, and uh, Tyrese spots an advancing walker in the distance, uh, but the walker falls and becomes trapped in between a couple of railroad ties. So Tyrese goes over to kill the walker, but Lizzie makes a humanistic plea to spare its life, and they end up doing so. When that walker fell, like it looked like he just kind of tripped, and was like, "Oh, that's you know, <laughs> walker tripped." But when they got to it, it was really messed up. Like its arm was broken; it's it couldn't get up at all. Like its legs, I assume, were broken too. Like it was must have been a really kind of older, frail zombie at that. Even though the person itself didn't look like an old man turned into a zombie, just kind of a, a weaker zombie per se. Now, see, you say it looked like it just tripped. I actually thought it looked like somebody was physically pulling it down. Like, I was assuming that some group was going to come out that had, like, trapped it in some kind of, uh, not pit necessarily, but like a snare of some type. But yeah, I agree. It really did. It went down hard when we finally saw it. I could agree with you on the kind of what it looked like, because I, I, for a second, did think there was, like, some kind of either, like, a hole or some kind of trap that it fell into. But yeah, when they got to it, it was like, oh, yeah, it just fell. And that's why we don't walk on railroad ties. That's the reason. (laughs) Because of walkers. Yep. Carol and Mika go out on a little scouting trip to find some food, and they find a house in the middle of a pecan grove, and they send for Tyrese, Lizzie, and Judith. And Carol suggests staying there for a few days to rest. Uh, So she and Tyrese leave the girls outside while they clear the house, but once they go inside, a walker appears, and Mika shoots it in the head as Lizzie looks on in tears. Yeah, so... For this episode, I put. And I'm gonna. I think I'll try to take a picture and put this on the Facebook page. I put in my. I take notes every episode, and on the on the side margin, I have a little thing that says Lizzie is bonkers, and I put a little check mark for every time she did something or said something that seemed bonkers <laughs> to me, and I have 22 check marks for this episode. Yeah, I think after watching this episode, it's pretty clear, and I'm not a uh, a doctor of psychology or anything like that, but that uh, Lizzie seems to me to be a psychopath as opposed to a sociopath like you might have with Dexter or Sherlock Holmes or something like that. Um, and she, they really went through, like, uh, like you're saying check marks, but like if they were literally checking off things that make a psychopath a psychopath, it seemed to me like they were hitting uh. pretty much all of those boxes. Yeah, torturing small animals, dissection, uh, inability to see the you know, differences you know, in between the walkers and the humans. Poor control over emotions, not really, see, yeah, not really being able to tell why someone was mad at them, but still being super ex- upset about it. Um, that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, she was, she was goofy. And you know, I gotta say, I never really had strong thoughts about Mika one way or the other previous to this episode. I think maybe the first episode we saw her, I didn't love her acting. I kind of really liked her in this episode, and I've heard a lot of people say the exact opposite, but for whatever reason, I, for the first time, found her somewhat endearing in this episode. I'm sorry, were you saying that for Lizzie? No, for Mika. Oh, for Mika. Um, I would agree with you that I think Mika Mika was effective. I actually wasn't a huge fan of Lizzie's performance in this episode, but I'll get to why, I guess, which is somewhat on a writing thing as well. 
So the next day, Carol's in the house, and she spots Lizzie happily playing tag with a walker in the yard. We actually see this scene twice. It's our cold open of the episode as well, and the scene we had seen during Talking Dead last week. Uh, super creepy. You've got a what sounds like a record player playing a kind of a Bioshock-type feel as Lizzie just plays tag with a walker. And uh, so Carol rushes outside when she sees what's happening, and she kills the walker, but Lizzie screams at Carol, saying the walker was her friend. Yeah, there were like two check marks I put down on that one. Um, this, uh, yeah, at least were two check marks. My my God, like at what? Like, Where did he begin with this kind of scene? Like, yeah, the cold open was awesome. I thought it was a great kind of tone setter in general for just this show. I wish all this episodes would end with open of kind of a, kind of a wordless visual image of some kind. And a really oh, short cold open too. It was like forty five yeah. seconds long, probably the shortest we've had. It reminded me of Breaking Bad season two, where he kind of had that opening kind of mysterious like what's going on oh yeah the black and white openings yes um but like how did (laughs) just i i i like that this show did something like that to just further get us on the side of like oh my god what's going on with this girl but like how did this like whole thing like play out did you just like find one outside and like bring it in and somehow not get bitten by this like it's a miracle that this little girl didn't get bitten by this zombie she's faster than a zombie I guess, but like, I just, I don't get this thought process, and I'm not, I know I'm not supposed to, but dear God, <laughs> playing tag or bite, as I'm sure she'd call it, it's just, ugh. well, that's how we know you're not a psychopath. <laughs> so, good. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. Meanwhile, little Mika, like, she's playing with Griselda Gunderson and having a Best great time. Best name ever, by the way. <laughs> I, I want the Griselda, Griselda Gunderson uh, spinoff show. <laughs> she better be in the Walking Dead spinoff. With the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Was it before this? We we see it several times, but I forget exactly when the first note of it was, that they see the smoke off in the distance. I think it was when they first got there, they said they smelled smoke. Then they saw it like a few scenes later. I guess it's Mika who points out, oh, that means the fire stopped because the smoke is white. And I've seen a lot of people speculate. That that happened happened at the end. That's uh, at the end. uh, Actually, Mika says the opposite. The smoke is black and that it must still be burning. I love science. Oh, okay. And then then Carol. That was when her and Carol were out looking uh, for the deer. Right. Okay. Which happens right next. So yeah, they're out looking for the deer, or they're they're out just scouting the forest. They co- they come across a deer, uh, reminiscent of the beginning of season two with Carl and everything like that. Uh, Mika aims her gun at the deer, but is unable to pull the trigger, much to the disappointment of Carol. And uh, the duo return to the house and find Tyrese pumping water, and he suggests they settle at this location instead of continuing towards Terminus. So we got a lot of stuff there. First off, with the smoke, and I, I think you're right. Here is where Mika says, "Oh, it's it's the fire still burning because it's black," and it's later Carol says, "Oh, the fire is not burning anymore because the smoke is white." But my my point in bringing that up in the first place was I've seen a lot of speculation that that's actually smoke from the fire that uh, Beth and Daryl lit last week or two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, from no that question. Farmhouse. And that they're really, really close to each other, or at least were um, at that time, since uh, we have no idea where where uh, (laughs) Beth is, uh, or where Daryl is, and that was, uh, at this point, the fire's out. Yeah, I think it's just completely obvious that that's the case. I mean, there's no other reason to show that smoke other than that. Unless the, this, unless the next episode wants to really seriously prove me wrong, but I, I don't... Well, I mean, it could have just been other. setting up the awesome half-burned zombies. You know, it's just a I, random fire. But yeah, I, I but agree I, with you, it I makes mean, a lot more sense. Yeah, given, I mean, obviously the relative location of everybody around where they are, given with the tracks and everything, and how they're bound to meet up with each other once again, and the fact that they, 
you know, you can't just, you can't, but just by TV law and movie logic alone, you can't just set a giant fire one week and then not pay any attention to it in previous weeks, despite bringing up a very similar smoke aspect of it. I'm surprised that fire didn't spread wider, but whatever. That's also known as Chekhov's giant fire rule. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that's page. <laughs> that's, page um, that's chapter seven, page nineteen of uh, movie one hundred and one. Yeah, you, you can't set a giant fire on stage in uh, in Act One without having somebody burned by Act Three. Yeah, <laughs> probably the audience. I meant to mention this earlier. Um, a lot of gunshots next to babies that I was kind of irritated by in this episode, but necessity. I get it. Whatever. <laughs> So, Carol, what did you think of Carol and Mika's discussion all about uh, – it, it was where uh, Carol first told Mika about Sophia, that she even had a daughter, that Mika was a lot like Sophia, and that they were both too uh, too gentle, I guess would be the right term, for their own good, and that uh, Mika needs to toughen, enough, toughen up because Mika has no problem shooting the living if she has to. She doesn't want to, but if she has to, like we saw at the prison attack, she is able to. Um, but she has a real hard time shooting the dead. Or no, do I have that backwards? You have that backwards, yeah. She has no problem. She's able to shoot uh, zombies and walkers, but she doesn't want to shoot any actual people because that is, uh, to her, as she says, is wrong. And she even makes, I forget who exactly makes the point, but the point of um, even if you have to kill sometimes doesn't mean you should have to kill all the time. What I like about this scene and other scenes in general that aren't the last two, which we'll get to, um, is that Melissa McBride's really selling the role. I personally think the dialogue is rather weak in most of this episode, which is why I'm not elevating it to something higher because of great things that happen later on. But it's because of McBride that not that I wasn't like, not that I was like throwing my head against the wall or something like, oh my god, get better. But I mean, I, I appreciated what she was bringing as an actress to a script that I just don't think was really getting the nuances across without just spelling out plainly what's going through characters' mind and having that exit through their mouths. I agree that I think the actors do more... For, uh, the actors, I think, do more work uh, for the script than the script does for them. Yeah, that's I mean, a good way and, to put it. I mean, um, Even now, you know, Chad Coleman's Tyrese, I mean, he makes the best of the lines that are given him and gives them a, a gravitas, especially you know, at the very end scene when they're at the table together. The dialogue, you know, they're, I think they're acting beyond what they're being written. You know what I mean? Um, and I, like you said, Melissa McBride is great in this episode. I think, you know, I think all the performances are great, both the kids, you know, for what you know, for what they are and what they they have to portray. I mean, but I, I, I agree the dialogue isn't as strong as it could be, but uh, I think they all, you know, pretty, you know, sell it fairly well. Later that afternoon, uh, Lizzie is wandering on the railroad tracks with Mika giving chase. And Lizzie has a uh, shoebox, I guess, that she opens up and pulls out a mouse. And she goes over to that walker from earlier that fell on the tracks and they opted not to kill. And uh, she feeds the walker the mouse, which is gross. And Mika tells her pretty much exactly that. But Lizzie insists the walkers want her, uh, her being Lizzie, to change. And she reaches for the walker's mouth which now, with an outstretched finger, almost like she wants it to bite her. But at that moment... Uh, one of my favorite scenes from the episode, walkers emerge from the woods, from the direction of the fire. I think we can even see the smoke in the background. Uh, some of these walkers are, like, completely charred. Others are just partly charred, but there's smoke rising off them. Uh, their skin is charred, and you can see, like, bloody under parts to it where it's cracked and, and pulled away. It just looks awesome. So they scream, uh, unsurprisingly, and they run back to the house. They kind of look like uh, Peter Jackson orcs. Yeah, yeah, Orakai. Yeah, That's like fair, Orakai. Yeah. They look great. That's what they looked like. I, like there was uh, some 
we've seen our share of different stages of walkers and whatnot, given the environments they they've been in or the their various things they've encountered that affected the way they look. And yeah, the char the the Kentucky Fried Zombies, as I was calling them this episode, they really <laughs> um they they look great. Nick Otero and his team once again just really deliver on something special. This is zombie Q. Yeah. <laughs> So, like I said, they run back to the house uh, and screaming. So Tyrese and Carol hear that. They run to the uh, eight of the girls, and uh, the four of them form a line and shoot walkers, including Lizzie, who, like we said earlier, has uh, problems shooting the walkers. And even Carol looks at her, and I believe kind of smiles a little at seeing that Lizzie is shooting the walkers, um, at least to protect herself. And she seems to, at that point, think that Lizzie's making some progress. Spoilers, she's not. But uh, <laughs> this scene actually confused me a bit. Um, besides, like the hey, look, that's cool. They're shooting at zombies. Like the Lizzie shooting at Walker's thing. I, I, I don't think it quite the, the direction quite showed me if she was like actually hitting them or if she was just shooting around them to make it look like she was putting in the effort or whatnot. Like I couldn't quite get a grip on what the scene was trying to tell me about Lizzie in it. Lizzie's a lot of things, but I don't get the impression that she's manipulative. She's so convinced she's correct that I don't think she would go out of her way to fake it because she doesn't think she has to. She doesn't understand why she would even need to, if that makes sense. That's fair. I will I will commend this this episode for one thing. Remember, like, season two when they're, like, taking out shotguns, like, 50 yards away and getting nothing but headshots? This episode, like, they're hitting them in the... Sh- they're, like, you know, much closer, and they're hitting them in the shoulders and the legs, and then they hit them in the head. So at least there seems to be some, like... There seems to be some acknowledgement that maybe not everyone's a perfect shot every damn time on this show, and we can actually right. miss now and again. <laughs> and and the, the hits were awesome because because they were so charred. They even called it on Talking Dead, I think, like a charcoal effect. But they were just kind of exploding in like a black smoke um, whenever you hit them. Like a big piece and pieces would fly off because they were so badly damaged before the bullets even hit them. It was really cool looking. It was like watching Blade take down vampires in a Blade movie <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slightly less swords, but yes. But not Blade 3. <laughs> I was playing techno music in the back of the scene the second time I watched the episode, though, so it was great. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sick of that Blade soundtrack. So then uh, Carol and Tyrese go on a, uh, a hike around the house. I think they were getting water out of the well. Um, on the property, and they have a nice conversation. Oh, well, kind of nice, but it's it's kind of a dark conversation as well, where, A, they're talking about maybe living there with the girls and maybe just starting over, and, the, and Carol's starting to come around on the idea. Um, and Tyrese also brings up Karen and David and how, you know, he still has these nightmares about that moment, about that day. And we see one of those early in the episode, even when he's asleep and, and he wakes up from a nightmare. But, uh, you know, he talks about, Wondering if it was like just a stranger who came in and killed them, and how this, just this horrible idea that a stranger could just come in and kill you in your sleep, etc. and so forth. And there's a really long shot, like probably a minute and a half, where Carol is not looking at him, and you feel like at any moment she's going to turn around and just confess to what she did, or what she had at least earlier told Rick she had did of killing uh, Karen and David, but she doesn't. We'll get to how I was wrong with my Carol theory and how upset I am about it, but um, it was still a good theory. Yeah, it was I, a great yeah. theory. I, I still thought it was viable up until the very well, end. Th- I mean, the only problem I have is that it just makes me dislike the episodes the same way I disliked them early on in the beginning part of the season. But we'll get to that. What I do want to mention is that I, <laughs> every time Tyrese is like mentioning about his his days with with Karen and how he he 
imagines that they could have been something and blah 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 like i just it just reminds me of how little i care about karen or that relationship because i just saw none of it so like shut up tyrese i'm glad you're doing a good job emoting but i, I don't I, I didn't care then and i don't really care now i get that you're still hurting but but at least he's given something to do which is nice. That's fair, but I, there, the show, if the show handled things differently from the outset, then I wouldn't have had a problem with it. I mean, it just, it's just it's telling me what I'm supposed to feel, and that's, that's, not, that's not the best way to handle things. They come back from their uh, trip to get water from the well, and they find Lizzie standing there. And you can see Judith even in the long shot, because I went back and rewatched this. Judith is fine, but Lizzie's hands are covered in blood and she's holding a knife, and we see that Mika is dead on the ground, but Lizzie insists, oh no, don't worry, Mika will be okay, I didn't hurt the brain, this is a direct quote from the comic, actually, um, in a slightly, not a different context, different characters, but it's a, it is a direct quote, and she reveals that she was going to do the same to Judith, but they just got back, and, uh, I, I love and, and cringe at in a good way, but all at the same time, Carol's response and Lizzie's response to Carol's response of Lizzie she can't even walk yet yeah that was a and just Lizzie's look of oh yeah I guess that makes sense like just the logic of oh yeah you wouldn't want her to turn when she can't even walk it it was so creepy but so spot on for what they were doing with the character I thought Um, but uh, clearly Carol and Tyrese are stunned they don't know exactly to do Um, Lizzie pulls a gun on Carol when Carol walks up to her because she thinks Carol is going to uh to re-kill, if you will, Mika, and uh, she makes Carol promise that she won't do that, and Carol does promise. She says she's just going to tie her up with her shoelaces, and it'll be fine. Uh, Pinky swear, all that kind of stuff. Tyrese, Judith, and Lizzie go into the house, and we see Carol pull out her knife. And I don't think we actually see her stab uh, Mika in the brain because it goes to commercial, but it's it's pretty clear that that's what happens. There's a a good, really good uh, acting moment there, though, from Melissa McBride, where she, you know... She's kind of just standing there for just a minute before she takes her knife out or whatever, makes sure you know that the um, Lizzie is clear. You know, that she's not going to see what she's going to do, and, and she's, she's like putting on her best fake smile for Lizzie, so Lizzie doesn't think anything's right, about exactly. To and then immediately shifts to like you know just trying not to break down and do what she has to do. I thought it was a really good scene. It's one of the instances where the you let the actors show you what they're doing without explicitly telling you in this episode, which is something I liked. Because, yeah, no one needs to see that, and you get it. You don't need to be told, it was Lizzie feeding the rats the whole time. We don't need a scene like that. Um, so, obviously, we got to back up and talk about this <laughs> this thing that happened. It's shocking. Not necessarily shocking to those of us who've read the comics, but, I mean... I've been calling this for, what, ten episodes now? Yeah, but there's certainly a, you know, r- regardless of knowing that it was going to happen or not, there's certainly a gut-punch feeling you get when you, you know, see the image of a little girl, bloodied hand, standing over her dead sister... And smiling, like super smiling, proud yeah. of what she just did. And it like emotion wise, like, yeah, it got to me. It like it made me, you know, it got the desired effect out of me. And it's effectively shot and everyone around there is acting the way they need to. And it looks morbid as hell. I have minor quibbles with this. I wonder. So. Mika clearly gets that Lizzie's, like, you know, not right. She had, she's, she's seen this. She does nothing but talking about it this episode for the sake of this episode. That's the purpose. Yet, like, what position are we in where the, all three of them are left by their lonesome? 
and Meek is willing to, I guess, lay down and keep her eyes closed or something, and Lizzie's then able to kill. Like, I don't know what the situation would be that would lead up to this working as well as it did for her. All she has to do is come up behind her and stab her in the back. Well, but given her general nature, it doesn't seem like she's, you know, out to sneak up on her sister and kill her. It seems more like she'd ask her politely if she could lay down and do so, and I just don't, I don't, <laughs> I can't, I don't know if I can believe that. that, that or maybe happened. Mika was taking a nap. I mean, I don't know. I mean, we didn't see. The nap I, thing I, I can buy, maybe, I guess. Yeah. I, I get it. It's just, it, it just, it's shortcuts that they're being taken to get to these shocking moments, and these moments are supposed to hit you hard, and I'd like to, I'd like to be happy with just sitting tough and being like, okay, that was brutal. Man, I should really focus on how that's important, but the, there's a side of my brain that doesn't want to want to t- doesn't want to take away from the fact that we're kind of being cheated out of certain logic gaps here in order to get to those important scenes. I, I get what you're saying, but for us to see that, you'd have to have the scene of her pulling out a knife and telling her sister or asking her sister to lay down or whatever it might have been, which then completely undercuts the oh my gosh, WTF, what's going on of of Carol and Tyrese coming back from the well all hunky dory to find what they find. I mean, for for us as comic readers, yeah, we we knew this was coming. Although I, I did have some suspicions they might tweak it a little bit, but that's beside the point. We knew this was coming, but for everybody else, if you have any scene like that of, of contextualizing it, it totally undercuts that surprise. Well, yeah, and that's why it's it can't be. It's yeah, obviously you're going to undercut the shock value if you show something like that. So it's just a matter of the steps leading up to something like this aren't quite as well well realized as they could have been in other shows that have done a good job of kind of having a shock value without you having to question the internal logic of the series itself to get to that point. I, I feel like Game of Thrones is a perfect example of that, where you can get shocking values, but you don't you don't go back and second guess what led up to those things because the show's done a good a good job of presenting you with situations where you don't feel the need to question it. I get what you're saying, but I also don't see any need to question this particular one. Like, to me, it just worked, but that, that's just me. I Yeah, I get it. Uh, I, again, from an emotion stand, emotional standpoint, yeah, it worked. And, like, I like the episode overall, and, again, it comes down to the actors and the fact that we're seeing what we're seeing on screen and on a very popular TV show such as this where everyone watches. Like, you can only do so much and please so many people at one time. But, yeah, it's, it, was, it was effective for what it needed to do at the time. I, I don't know. Just I mean, the idea of one child killing another was, like, pretty just like shock value for me and i i understand what you're saying you know, that it didn't you know show us all the logic points on you know along the way but it didn't really sit that poorly with me as it as it revealed itself the thing that bothered me and i i know we're, we're getting to that but at the end of the episode when uh, and uh, i know we're getting to the i'm getting ahead of ourselves or whatever but um uh when uh, when there are three graves but, like, Judith is saved, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was a grave there when they got to the property. We saw it a few yeah, times yeah. in the background with the shoes oh, on it. okay. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, Tyrese is on kind of a Baby Bjorn backpack type thing on Tyrese's back by the end of the episode. But if you right. weren't looking for it, you probably wouldn't see it. It is because they're using a dummy in situations like that and not an actual baby. They, they keep the head covered most of the time, and it could just be right. any other pack, unless you know that's what it is. I mean, because in this scene, they made it a point of having a shot of Judith, you know, to show that she was alive. Oh, yes, they were that, very clear. Yeah, <laughs> they were very baby. clear that, she, yeah, that, uh, you know, Judith was still alive. But then, at the end of it, you know, they showed the three graves. I'm like, wait a minute, did I miss something? You know, that was like, I mean, you, you know, you say, Aaron, you have quibbles. Like, that was probably mine. I'm like, I guess I didn't catch the, the grave when they uh, showed it earlier. I mean, yeah, I it's like because I yeah I saw some questioning about where Judith was, and what it comes down to is the show 
is so obvious when it wants to tell you something. It'd be very clear if it wanted to explain that Judith died, and obviously they didn't show Judith dying. So yeah, that's not that was never in, that was never a thought that crossed my mind at that point. So that night, uh, Tyrese and Carol sit down at the table, and uh, Tyrese says, you know, he he talked to Lizzie. He cleaned out a room to make sure there was no you know knives or guns or anything else of the sort. Um, and he finds out he found out from Lizzie that she was definitely the one feeding the prison walkers, which again we pretty much knew, but now it's hundred percent she admitted to it. And he tells Carol he tells Carol about the uh, vivisected uh, rabbit that he had found in the prison right before the governor attacked. And he wonders, you know, what if Lizzie killed Karen and David? And Carol quickly says, you know, she couldn't, she wouldn't have had the strength to move the bodies. And the whole point of her thing is to let them reanimate, so it wouldn't make sense. Um, and Tyrese suggests that he would leave with Judith uh, to protect her from Lizzie and uh, just let Carol stay with with uh, with her. And she says, well, you, you wouldn't survive out there on your own. And, and they kind of also pitch the opposite of her living leaving with, with uh, Lizzie. And, you know, that wouldn't work either. And they finally come to the, uh, to the realization that, Car- that Judith is going to need both of them to survive. And Lizzie is just too dangerous to be around other people. And they kind of silently and reluctantly agree what has to happen next. The kind of first half of the scene is kind of my least favorite seat part of this episode because it's just like it's it's Tyre it's Tyrese as exposition where he's just saying everything out loud that's been visually confirmed with us throughout the episode or implied or whatnot. And I feel like the show is almost not crediting its audience well enough to let you know say that hey we we get that you get this like let's leave that alone instead we have a whole scene of Tyrese explaining so Lizzie was the one that was feeding the and here's the red like it's just I, I don't understand why the show doesn't trust it I don't think that's what it is though I think it's because if they didn't do that then people would going people would be asking well why didn't Tyrese put two and two together that this is what happened and at I, least yeah, now we have him the... saying I put two and two together which, yeah, I get that, and that's why the second half of the scene like works better, just because it leads to another conversation about the Karen and David thing, and that needs to come back at the end of this episode. So it's obviously, it's setting up other things that still need to occur this episode involving the Carol and Tyrese tension, so they can wrap up that arc before you know, we move on to more characters and don't have time for it anymore. So like I I get what it needs to do, it's just, it just feels clumsy, and that's a word that I've used a lot this season when it gets to some of the, with, specifically with Carol and Tyrese, actually. I mean, I've had... We talked about issues before. I know um, I believe Russ and I have actually talked about issues before with the lead-up to things that Carol's done and the lead-up to ways Tyrese has reacted to the events that have occurred early on in the season, which are now, you know, having the kind of the, the end of that arc, given that we tie up a lot of these things involving mysterious deaths, rat feeding, and and uh, who's responsible for what. So, yeah, it gets, it gets to the scene of... Maybe he killed Carol and uh, Karen and David, and Carol responds with what she responds with, which still didn't cancel out my theory necessarily. So I was kind of like still banking on it, but it does just show the strengths of the writing to me versus what the actors are giving. It just feels like there's a lot of examples of that in this episode, which was written by. We'll get. We'll, 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 I, I can stop for now. I'm sorry. <laughs> rambling. I understand what, what Aaron's saying about the dialogue not being as strong as it could be, but I thought the acting was was spot on in, in a lot of these scenes. Um, I realize, you know, there is some delivery of exposition because, you know, Tyrese, you know, it's not so much that Tyrese, you know, what happened is what Tyrese knows as opposed to what Tyrese doesn't know. And then when we finally have the, the scene, you know, together, uh, when they're together at the table with the puzzle or whatever, um, you know, that, that dialogue, I, I can understand why, why you think it would be, it, it, it sounded clumsy or whatever, or, you know, not up to par or what have you, but, um, I thought the acting really sold it for me beyond, you know, what was there on the, in the script, so... 
as far as the the uh, the way they deal with Lizzie, I mean, what other way would they have? You know, what, what other course of you know? It's funny you say that, yeah, because I I thought like perhaps they just you know ditch her in the night, like they um they they let her go to sleep and they just kind of leave her there. I, I thought that was a potential option. I I get the you know what they do go through if is quote unquote more effective or whatnot, but. <laughs> like, I, I, I did consider like what are, what options are there? Yeah, there's there's not many. Like we can't trust, we can't stay with her. Obviously, that's not a. I mean, idea. I would argue that just leaving her would be exceptionally cruel because we know she would feel the pain from that, and she wouldn't understand why it was happening. At least with what what happens, and we'll get to this, but uh, it it's she doesn't know what's about to happen, and it's just over. Like she doesn't have to feel the pain. She doesn't have to wonder. You know, why are mommy and daddy mad at me, etc.? Did I cause the divorce? That type of thing. It's just, you can't explain to her what is wrong. She, you know, she is a psychopath. She will not understand. As far as I'm concerned, in this, po- in this po- post-apocalyptic world where there's no, you know, medication and insane asylum or what- whatever course of action you might take in 2014 in the real world now, with those options taken away... This was probably the most compassionate thing they could do. Yeah, I agree with you. Like on the at the end of the day, that is where it comes down to. And yeah, leaving her there would be obviously cruel. But I mean, the word "cruel" has a different context in this world at some point. So like, it, yeah, the the if I have to weigh killing a little girl over leaving a little girl by her lonesome, I for the you know the the kill. It's just it's hard to say that out loud and be like, yeah, I guess killing her seems like a better choice in this matter. But yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, you're killing her either way. Let's be honest. She's going to die either way. Yeah, she leaves her either by letting herself be bitten, or uh, by you know simply starving to death or whatever. I mean, I mean, we see the scene earlier where she's on the railroad track and she's like toying with the uh, the trapped walker and almost gets bitten herself. You know, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I wonder what it'll be like to change and. I mean, you're just you're creating, you're keeping another zombie from being created, you know. Or, I mean, worse, and I don't want to go into this because it's too dark even for this show. I think, but we've seen the gangs of marauders that are around, and I would not want to leave a little girl around by her lonesome in a situation like that. Like, even if she doesn't just die from starvation or get bitten or offers herself up to be bitten, there are even worse things that could happen to this person if you leave her alone. Uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. It's, uh, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's logic that almost appeals to the, the comic more than the show, just because we haven't... Rapey is not a term I'd use to describe this show, but rapey, I could say, is a term that could be placed in the comic a lot. Sooner. I would say, without getting to spoilers, the scene we see on Talking Dead for next week uh, pretty much confirms that that is a real concern in the show as well. Um, and believe me, that does not spoil anything. But, uh, yeah, it's a concern. <laughs> it implies that ass are out there. That's what I got from that scene. Well, yes, I mean, and that's true to the real world as well. But, uh, no, if you listen to specifically what that guy was talking about, uh, yeah, not not good. I, yeah, I guess. I honestly, I, I try not. I, when it comes to those, like, here's the next scene, I just kind of turn it down and look away. Uh, let's, let's finish out the episode and, and then go back into some conversation. So, the following morning, Carol takes Lizzie out for a walk and says she needs to talk to her about some things. And they go out into the grove and, and there's some uh, yellow wildflowers there. Lizzie can tell that something's off with Carol, and so she starts to cry and plead with Carol not to be mad at her anymore, and she apologizes, you know, is it because I pulled the gun on you? I'm sorry, I won't do it again. 
Um, I just had to prove to you I was right, etc. and so forth. No, she doesn't apologize for killing her own sister. Oh, no, because why would she? She was right, right. about that. She apologizes for pulling a gun on Carol. Exactly. And so Carol just tells her, just look at the look at the flowers, Lizzie. Just look at the pretty flowers, which is something that's been shown several times throughout the series, actually. If you go all the way back to episode 402, just look at the flowers and count to three is a thing that uh, that Mika has been doing with Lizzie since before apparently we've even seen them on the show. That is a standard calm-down technique for the two sisters, uh, specifically for Lizzie. Carol tells her, just look at the flowers, and again, we get a really long shot of Carol as she has to do what she has to do. She slowly pulls out her gun as, as uh, Lizzie is looking at the flowers and still kind of crying about Carol being mad at her for pulling the gun. And uh, we don't see the shot, but we hear it. And then we later see out the window uh, Lizzie's body fall as Carol shoots Lizzie in the head. And Tyrese is looking uh, from the window. And uh, later we see them bury the two girls next to each other and next to that third grave that was there at the house. I've been wrongfully saying that um, it's it's Carol 1, Rick 2 as far as little girls go. But actually, I guess Carol did take out reanimated Mika, or at least before she had a chance to reanimate Mika. So it is kind of tied, Carol 2, Rick 2, for a little girl's death. Oh, man. Well, that's cheery. Yeah, Mr. Happy over here. <laughs> this is the I mean, this is the first of two just fantastic scenes, I think, overall in this episode. I, I, think, I think this scene and the final scene in the episode are just... It, it's to the point where I feel like these are the two scenes that they came up with first and they worked backwards from here. And I wouldn't be surprised if that, you know, actually holds water. But... Everything McBride's doing, everything Liz, I think Lizzie, this is the this is the chance for her to really shine as an, as a young actress in the show, and just what she's kind of giving to it, what McBride's giving to. Like they're all, both of them are doing some great work here and making this scene play in the way it does. It's obviously it's a sad state of affairs and it's brutal and it's uncompromising and fits with the kind of the darker side of what a show called The Walking Dead would have to offer. But I mean, it's shot well. It's I think that this is this is where the writing shines the best. I would say in this episode and this in the following scene. I mean, it's it all worked for me. This is a this is a this is a good like encapsulation of what The Walking Dead comes down to. Yeah, like we said, you know, just kind of a brutal, uh, dark, really place for for this episode to get to end up. But uh, almost uh, I don't know. It seemed like kind of predestined with all the foreshadowing we've seen of you know Lucy's behavior over the past season. So. But it, I don't know. It worked for me too. Like the the last two scenes here, I'm like, as I mentioned, you know, the acting really carried it over for me. You know, more so than what you know the actual you know, exposition and words they were saying. Um, just I think Melissa McBride and, and, and Jack Coleman are both really good in these roles. I, I was happy to see you know this get resolved. You know, over the table with uh, you know Carol and Tyrese. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to see more of Tyrese as, as a person, as a character. You know, we just see him, we just see him, you know, bits and pieces here and there. We haven't really got to, like, spend some time with the character and actually, you know, kind of give him a little more depth, you know, because, I mean, in the comic, he's such a rich character and one of my favorites in the whole story, you know, so I guess I, I hold him to the, that yardstick as I watch the character in the show. So for the final scene of the episode that we've been hinting at, Carol and Tyrese sit down at the table where there's a puzzle that they've been working on throughout the episode, which we learned on Talking Dead was actually um, a picture of Sophia, if you were to actually complete the puzzle, uh, which is kind of a cool little Easter egg. But Carol tells Tyrese, well, first she, she gives him her gun. She takes her gun out. She puts it on the table, on his side of the table, and she admits to killing Karen and David. Uh, she explains she had to contain the illness. Um, it wasn't a pleasant thing to do. She didn't want to do it, but it had to be done. And just like with Lizzie, 
She does what has to be done, even if it's not the pleasant or most acceptable thing to do. And uh, she tells Tyrese, I'm sorry, but you do what you have to do now that you know. And he's very upset at first. He even grips the gun. He doesn't pick it up, but he grips it in his hand. Then when he sees what he's done by even holding the gun, he he kind of quickly releases it and uh, moves his hand away. And he tells her he forgives her. He will never forget what she did. And he knows that she never will either, that that will live with her the rest of her life, but he forgives her. And the next day, Tyrese, Carol, and Judith leave the grove, and they continue their journey to Terminus. And that ends episode 414, The Grove. So yeah, this is uh, this is obviously the other scene that I've been talking about, and I think, it yeah, it disproves my, my um, Carol theory. To recap once again, yeah, I thought Carol was responsible for the deaths of Karen and David. Or, or, I'm sorry, Lizzie was responsible for the deaths of Karen and David, and, and Carol simply just moved the bodies and burned them, which, you know, not a pleasant thing either, but it would have made more sense to me from a narrative standpoint, given the behavior of characters early on in the season. What what bugs me about that not being true is that that just still means I have issues with this season as a whole by having it have to take shortcuts to get to certain points, given, I mean, obviously time constraints and how much we can pack into one episode. Like, if there were deleted scenes that explain things better, good for them. But, I mean, obviously, what I see is what I got, and I had issues with it. And, yes, we have outcomes that work out for the better, because, I mean, the... The, the what the preceding episode that had Rick and Carol dealing with what Carol admitted to Rick, and now this episode with these ending scenes, like that's the fallout of what happened early on. And like I like that, you know, I like the sum of the parts, but the getting there, the the pieces, the piece, the the pieces involved in making up that final product, like I can't say I'm completely on board with, but at the same time, yeah. As we've been saying, McBride makes it work, and Chad Coleman's great in this, in the, with his role as Tyrese in this episode as well. So like it, it worked out for the better. But like I, I it makes me somewhat annoyed that like people are gonna to gloss over the fact that it wasn't like the the best way to get to this point. And I'd love to just shower praise on the episode because I think it's well acted and whatnot. But I do find issues, and so I'm just trying to point that out. And but overall, I mean, yeah, the, these final scenes they worked for what they did. And I think I can commend that aspect. I can commend that, commend that for sure. Also, in retrospect, and I, I got to say, I think I've said this before, Aaron, but I, I loved your theory about what it could have been with Lizzie killing them and, and Carol covering it up. That said, in retrospect, seeing what they were leading to with this. I don't think that that would have worked in the long run. And, and granted, it would have made those earlier episodes better and those earlier scenes better. But if Carol had known that Lizzie was willing to kill people for no good reason or, or for any reason really like that so coldly, I don't think this episode could have ever have happened because you know she would have never let them uh, her be alone with the other girls. She would have never trusted her on her own, all that kind of stuff. This... this the the murder of Mika, the actions by Lizzie had to surprise even Carol, and I don't think she could have been surprised if she'd already covered up two murders for her. As much as I like that theory, I completely yeah. See, I agree, and I would I have no doubt that I'd find holes even if my theory did come to fruition. And I'd imagine also you know it just generally be handled differently were that to be the way that this episode was going. That's it's, true. Yeah, it's just a matter of the 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 show would be kind of. It'd be doing a better job of hiding its hand, I guess, if it did do something that approached where I thought it could have been going as opposed to a more inevitable route that ties in with the comics, yes, so good for that, but it doesn't quite, beyond the shock value, doesn't really introduce a whole lot 
new, I guess, beyond just giving an example of good acting and characters that have gotten expanded upon, which is great. That's great. But, I mean, there's there are other ways the show could have handled something like that, I guess. And it, it's satisfying to an extent, but not, I mean, it not making me go over the moon for it. Yeah, I think Jordan makes a good point as far as the logic. If she already knew uh, Lizzie was capable of killing two adults while they were sick or whatever and was covering that up ever since then... I would think she would have done something about Lizzie, you know, not left her alone with Mika ever, you know, or done something about that long you know, before. Like uh, Jordan said, the the shock of what she does to Mika wouldn't have been there because she would have been expecting it all along. But I mean, you know, it was, it was a good theory. But uh, I mean, when Carol owns up to what she she's done to Tyrese, I mean, I didn't know what to expect in that scene. Whether you know Tyrese is going to take you know take out his anger on her or not, but um, the, I just thought the way that that it played out and just like the I hate to use the, the word again, but the, just the gravitas in his voice when he, you know, he tells her, you know, he forgave her, but you know, you know, she had to live with it, and he knows that she will. I just, I, I thought that was a well acted scene. So, it also worked well in that I don't know that he necessarily would have forgiven her if he hadn't seen what she just had to do with Lizzie, but seeing that she in that other situation also had to do a very unpleasant thing because it was the right thing to do. It all made it kind of work, I think, in his head enough to let him forgive her. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because we don't know enough about TV Tyrese and whether he's a forgiving person or how he feels about these types of things in general. But I still would have had a harder time believing it. Or I shouldn't say that, but I have an easier time believing that he forgives her because of what had transpired in the previous scenes. Yeah, and that's that's where it comes down to like an overall, not it problem, but, you know a thing to remark upon involving the walking dead where if you separate this like these story arcs out of the rest of this the season it's you know what three episodes four episodes total that d- explicitly deal with these plot lines and you can only do so much with the amount of time that they're given so obviously the show's doing the best it can in a cast that's you know there's eight main players maybe and then some supporting actors like there's there's a lot of people to keep track of and it has to do what it can so like it i understand the difficulty in finding that balance and if it has to take a few shortcuts to get to some well-acted scenes at the end of their arcs to complete them, then, yeah, I'm, I'm going to point out the flaws I see, but I'm also not discounting the quality of the acting and the quality of certain scenes within this series. Obviously, as I've mentioned, Carol and Rick having a discussion about things, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was well-acted and well-written. A scene with Tyrese and Carol coming to terms with what happened, I also think is well-acted, well-written, and well-executed. So, I mean, it... This is why I like doing this podcast with you guys. Obviously, I have a different opinion to an extent than some of you guys, but we're having a good time talking about it. We're ex- we're examining the show. We're not just oh yeah, heap, we're just not just heaping praise on it for blindly. We're giving good reasons to support why we liked or disliked certain things about it. So I mean, overall, yeah, I I think it it had some bumps in the road getting there, but you know the destination was reached, and I can appreciate that. Make a good point. I mean, it's obvious we're fans of the comic and the show, but I mean, we are Pollyanna. I mean, if there's an yeah. <laughs> episode we don't like, we'll, we'll let people know. I mean, I know I do. <laughs> so that's it for the episode discussion. Of course, we're going to give our Buster ratings here in a second. But before then, uh, Aaron, do you like comic books? I love comic books, Jordan. Jim, what about you? Do you like comics? Comics are why I live. What about comic-related merchandise like posters and, and DVDs and T-shirts and kilts? I can barely sit down because my kilt is so comfortable. I just want to stand up and let the wind flow. <laughs> you know, my real problem, Jordan, is that I can't afford all of the comic books and comic book-related merchandise that I would like to own. Well, I understand comics can be expensive, especially in this day and age, but 
If you want to save awesome amounts of money on your comics and comic-related merchandise, you know where you need to go? Please enlighten me. You need to go to dcbservice.com. That's dcbservice.com. They're one of our favorite companies out there because they sponsor our show, but also because they're an awesome company uh, where you can get deep, deep discounts on the newest comic books out there. They also have their sister site, instocktrades.com, where you can get trade paperbacks. Those are like the the six to ten issue uh, collections of comics out there. Head to DCBService.com, head to InStockTrades.com, check out all their great merchandise. If you like The Walking Dead, which I'm assuming you do, you're listening to this, you can pick up the, the individual comics, you can pick up the trades, the omnibus editions, or the whatever, the compendiums, I guess they call them, t-shirts, uh, all kinds of stuff, posters. If, if You can imagine if there's a good chance they have it. Kilts, I'm not 100% sure about. That was a joke. But, just about anything else... You can find it. Um, in addition, if you're you know looking forward to Captain America 2, Captain America the Winter Soldier that's coming out, uh, there's a brand new Winter Soldier series that either just launched or is about to launch that I'm hearing great things about. Uh, you can get that there at a great deep discount. DC stuff as well. Batman vs. Superman coming out at some point, theoretically. They have all the great stuff out there you can think of comic book-wise. Um, comic books, comic book-related uh, merchandise, and in-stock trades has the trade collected editions. Head there, let them know we sent you. You can get awesome discounts on all your comics and comic-related merchandise, and we thank them for their sponsorship. Absolutely. Aaron, what is your Buster rating for this week's episode out of a scale of 1 to 5? I don't think we ever really say that explicitly, but it is out of 1 to 5. And do people think they were just really harsh graders? Like, they never give over a 5. This this 10 scale's terrible. When are they going to like one? And they're really into Buster Poindexter for some reason. Why am I so exhausted when I say these sentences out loud? (laughs) I I would go with a strong 3.5 Busters out of of 5. I have already, you know, kind of mentioned what I disliked about the episode. But, I mean, what it comes down to is I think they're – are the two very good scenes, a, sen- a scene that really shocked me in an emotional capacity, and the acting really rose up what I think is otherwise a fairly okay script into something uh, more acceptable for the most part. So yeah, I'm sitting with a 3.5. Jim, uh, what did you think of this week's episode? I give this a 4 out of 5, um, mainly because the, the kind of grimness and the brutality and everything, that's... It kind of is what a lot of, you know, the subtext of, of what The Walking Dead is about, both in the comics and in the show. I mean, it's a grim situation. It's about, I mean, the whole story is, is, is not about the zombies. It's about the people dealing with the situation, you know, after the zombies have come. And uh, this is definitely, um, is, as we mentioned, it's reflective of a storyline in the comics uh, in, in some ways. And uh, it just is harsh and brutal. And uh, I can't believe that this was being put out on a, you know, on, on a, a broadcast uh, channel. I mean, I know AMC is cable or whatever, but it just seemed like really um, not beyond the pale so much as just something that I didn't, I didn't think they would go there, as it were, but they did. And and, I'm, and thematically, I'm glad they did because it fits in totally with the storyline. And we got to see some more uh, character building with Tyrese and, and Carol. That whole thing got resolved as far as, you know, her killing the the uh, the, the two people who were sick, uh, you know, Tyrese's girlfriend or wife or whatever. Um, that got resolved in this episode. I don't know. I just, um, this is definitely, I know, you know, we keep saying this, you know, the, the episode people are talking about around the water cooler. But, I mean, it shocked me with its brutality. Um, 
and and its grimness and, and its dark uh, subject matter. So, uh, despite you know misgivings I might have here and there with the script and and, the, and some of the dialogue in places seeming clunky, and and you know Aaron makes a good point about sometimes there's a, you know plotline shorthand as it were. <laughs> um, I, I do I still give it a four out of five. As for me, it's always tough whenever we do these Buster ratings. You know, you think about when you go to a movie and maybe you thought that movie was awesome in theaters and you go back six months later and watch it on Blu-ray and, you know, it was good, but it wasn't as good as you remember. Or you saw a movie in theaters and eh, it was okay, but then you eventually see it again on Netflix and, you know, that movie was actually really good. It's tough without, you know, the, the space for hindsight to actually know in the big picture how much you did or did not like an episode. And I, I say that to say... After watching this episode, and I then went back and rewatched it afterwards, I think this is my favorite episode of the TV show thus far. I understand your misgivings, Aaron. I understand the complaints I've heard from various people. But for me, I was engaged the entire episode. I thought it was fantastic. And maybe in six months I look back and go, you know, it was okay, but it wasn't my favorite. But 24 hours later, I think this is my favorite episode of the show so far. I'm giving it a five out of five. It makes me, like, curious and terrified about rewatching the entire series just because I know what I've rated episodes in the past and I know I've probably gone higher than I might have now just given how the show has evolved or what I recognize about the show more than I would have recognized earlier on when I will depending on the capacity of reviews that I've been doing just on my own accord for movies and other TV shows and whatnot. So, like, but I did because I, I say this because I rewatched Clear um this afternoon before recording this podcast just because i wanted to because i know scott gimple wrote that episode and i hold that one up as my favorite of the series and it just it it just feels apparent to me what's different from that episode and this episode and i just i i don't know like i i don't i don't know why i where i where what's what's going on differently where I, i can recognize the strengths of one episode over another where i can just clearly see what makes me like something more than another thing but yeah i mean it's i've you know there's there's a lot of strengths in both places and throughout this series, and we need to see where where it goes in the as the season ends, and maybe I can have an even better approximation of what I think overall of some of these episodes and what the build up to the end point that we're going to get to has been. Absolutely, Jim. What did our listeners on Facebook think? If anybody hasn't checked it out already, if you had to Facebook and search for Walking Dead TV podcast. We have a group there where you can join up. There's a whole bunch of people, tons of great discussion before, during, and after every episode. All kinds of Walking Dead stuff there. So if you're a fan of this show and you're a fan of The Walking Dead, again, you're listening, so I assume so. Absolutely, you should head over to Facebook, check out The Walking Dead TV Podcast Facebook group. And there, we allow our listeners to also give Buster ratings. So, Jim, why don't you read some of them for us? And I would also like to thank... uh, um, um, I'm sorry, I'm going to try... I don't know if I'm going to try to butcher his name or not either. Um, Shalem Benesavinga, I believe. Thank you. I'll leave it to you because that way you don't get mad at one of us. <laughs> um, for the meme, too, about me uh, reading off the Buster ratings, uh, I thought that was very, very funny as well. I, I was very uh, touched and never been uh, included in a meme before like that. So thank he, you. He's so batting a thousand right now, which means you have nowhere to go but down, sir. You're going to need to send him a, a no prize or something. Oh, Jordan's getting hungry and angry again. Anyway, <laughs> we do have a lot of fun in the Walking Dead TV podcast Facebook group, as Jordan was saying. We also post a lot of news. We have a lot of discussion. Uh, we even have a spinoff now, the Things and Stuff, spoiler, uh, Walking Dead uh, discussion group that Mike Jones uh, from this Facebook group spun off. So if you've read... The- uh, Jim, 
That is the Stuff and Fangs Walking Dead comic TV spoiler discussion page. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you very much for the entire <laughs> Stuff and Fangs. I'm sorry. Stuff and Fangs. I did not pronounce it correctly. Thank you. I'm, I'm winking at Mike Jones through the podcast microphone right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I don't want to get in the way of that. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff and Fangs is a spinoff, but uh, the Walking Dead TV podcast is our Facebook group and... Uh, a lot of cool discussion, news, and fun stuff going on there. Uh, this week, for this week's episode, Philip heard three out of five T-Dogs. For the second episode in a row, they advanced the story by having intelligent characters make stupid decisions. Uh, last episode, Daryl was careless at the door, and then Carol and Tyrese kept leaving the kids alone. So something, you know, I think that we touched on when we were talking, you know, in our discussion of the show, uh, whether they should have, you know, left her alone with Mika and the baby all together. Uh, Leo Cavallo, five out of five extra crispy walkers. Mmm, with the Colonel's secret to our recipe, I'm sure. Uh, uh, Susan Monk, 4.5 out of five psychotic little girls. I like what they did with the story from the comics. Look at the flowers. Uh, Mike Jones, as we mentioned, a four CGI deer out of five. Uh, Tyrese has best episodes so far. Two out of the three kids I want off the show are finally gone. Ouch, dude. Does he have it out for Judith or Carl? Harsh. Oh, he doesn't say it. I don't even know if I want to ask. <laughs> um, Sarah Ann Howard, 4.75 out of, out of 5 mice in the box. Wow, I really like this one. Great work by both adult actors. Uh, Max Sofer, 4.5 fe- uh, pecans out of 5. That was really good, and it managed to get those two off the show at the same time. Whoa! Guys, that's kind of harsh, man. Those are little kids. Uh, Lisa Gonzalez, four out of five. Tyrese is having a really bad day. I uh, love to tie into the books. I had a feeling it was going to be handled with these two girls, but I think they did so much better in the show than in the books. Interesting. Um, Michael Santana, and with the pull of the trigger, Carol becomes my favorite character. <laughs> four, yay, Lizzie is gone out of five. Wow. Uh, a lot of child hate. Yeah, in these no doubt, man. Uh, 3.9 Nutcrackers out of 5 from Craig Dumonda. Trishel Terrell Collins, 4.75 out of 5. Griselda Gunderstens. <laughs> Carol is Again, the wool man. best name ever. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Brent Jones, 3.95 Mouse Munchies out of 5. <laughs> uh, Roger Austin, 4.5 Blood Soaked Hands out of 5. Another solid character, develop- character development episode. Uh, Mary Turkpecky, a four out of five lethal flower arrangements. <laughs> I really like this episode. By far one of the best in the second half of the season. Uh, Hezron Mack gave four out of five, but some of the dialogue was kind of weak. A few times I was scratching my head. People don't talk like that. The scene at the kitchen table was very good, though. Um, Sarah and Howard chimed in that the dialogue did not bother her. Uh, Harold Turk gives it 4.25 Damien Thorns out of five. Wow. That's a reference to the omen, isn't it? Uh, I really enjoyed the episode. However, the parenting, quotes, of the two girls was more than a little suspect. Uh, Lizzie steps off the train to crazy town. Quick, let's have her babysit. Uh, Robert Nigro's five flowers to look at out of five. I loved how Lizzie was worried that she was in trouble because she pointed a gun at Carol out of panic and not because she murdered her sister. Yeah, I totally agree, Robert. Um, Terry Bernard, I'd give it about a four. Once Lizzie and Mika were left alone, I saw Tyrese and Carol walking back. I had a feeling of what was going to happen. Uh, Brian Fuqua, four oddly comfortable deer out of five. I'm still shivering from Lizzie's line. I was just about to do it to her, too. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. 
Shailen Benson Vega, 3.75 Rat Snacks out of 5. Sometimes you wish an episode wouldn't end. Not this one. It was hard to watch. The writing and acting were good, but damn, that was dark. Uh, Daryl Taylor from the Taylor Network of Podcasts, who I do a show with called Nothing's On All About TV, if you want to check that out. Uh, I give three out of five. I saw the end of coming a mile away. I need some stuff to happen now. Jeez, dude. Okay. I'm pretty uh, sure a lot of stuff and things happened and in this things. episode. <laughs> stuff and things. I don't know what he's talking about. I, I don't think predictability was a problem in this episode. I mean, obviously, something... It's not like nothing was not going to happen with one of these little girls, given how the episode was going. So, whatever. Daryl's notoriously grumpy. <laughs> if there's a thing out there, he will find a way to hate it. Yeah. Or a thing. Or a thing. He hates things. He was the original or, originator of the Player Haters Ball. Luke Smith, 5 out of 5 from me. I love this episode. Happy to see the Carol, character of Carol continuing to grow slash evolve. Richard Chopper Cherry Charrington. Nice tag. Four zombies playing Tick out of five. Very powerful episode. Well done for having the balls to screen an episode like this. Uh, Shane Jenkins, three. Who the hell puts a baby in a crib next to an unprotected window during a zombie apocalypse? <gasps> out of five. Wow. I'm not a huge fan of this episode, to be honest. The only thing I'm glad of is they incorporated a scenario from the comic. And SP Barrera, four or three smoke clouds out of five. This is the first episode where having read the comic spoiled my enjoyment of the episode. It totally moved away from where I thought they were going, Lizzie letting herself get bit in order to turn to bring it in line with the comic. I'm thinking the fire is of the shack that Beth and Daryl burned down. And uh, that's our uh, Buster th- uh, thread for the uh, Walking Dead TV podcast uh, Facebook group. Join us and uh, comment and uh, catch all the news and reviews and a lot of fun, fun talk and cool things and stuff and things going on there. Notice how none of us complained about the lack of action in this episode. <laughs> Which there was, I'd say, a medium amount. There's action going on, but yeah, I, I don't. None of us had anything know, to z- say. Zombie kill the episode definitely had to be the, the zombie cue. Those uh, smoking, flavored, Cajun blackened zombies. Well, considering those are the only zombie kills in the episode, yes, I'd say they would by default have to win. Uh, Aaron, I know you want to talk about uh, Season 2, Episode 2 of The Walking Dead Telltale video game, which just came out recently. Yeah, the uh, a couple weeks ago, I meant to mention this last week, but yeah, the Episode 2 of Season 2, or Chapter 2, whatever they're doing it, um, <laughs> the next chapter in the Season 2 of The Walking Dead video game has come out, and it's once again fantastic. It's probably, it might be the best episode of this game so I far. I have not and... played it yet, I've been behind, but I hear good things. Given the constant praise that I've been giving this game and how much I love it, how much it's my favorite version of taking in The Walking Dead in some form, um, that, that's, I think, high praise. The storytelling's fantastic. I think the voice acting's tremendous. The, just the, the way they've harnessed how you play this game at this point is done a, it's, it's, it's evolved in a great way where you just, you just feel like you're always part of the action that's going on, even though it's constantly you know, about, about dealing with conversations with other people and making decisions, not necessarily running and gunning all the time, although there is a share of action and edge-of-your-seat moments in terms of what you have to do in this particular episode. But yeah, completely, completely recommend, once again, The Walking Dead video game. Also the Fables video game from Telltale, which follows the same, hey, the kind, of, uh, us, yes. same kind of pattern, is also really awesome. Episode 2, really, really good. I haven't played the latest uh, uh, chapter yet, but I definitely want to get caught up. It's been uh, really spot on and, and great so far. Um, I wanted to point out another thing, too. There's a, For people in the L.A. area, I, did I mention this before or not? There's a thing called the Lethal Ladies of Horror. It's a movie marathon going on at the end of the month, uh, March 29th. That's a Saturday. 
um, where we're going to be playing, and it kind of involves zombies to an extent, but we're going to be playing, or we're, they're in Hollywood at a theater, they're going to be playing Drag Me to Hell, Night of the Comet, and Christine back to back to back with guests and prizes and all kinds of stuff. And um, friends friends of mine that are on out now with Aaron and Abe quite a bit, Jimmy O from JoeBlow.com and Jason Coleman, uh, they're hosting this event, and it's going to be quite cool. Um, it's a fun horror event, so I figured that ties into the Walking Dead TV podcast to an extent, along with the fact that Night of the Comet is kind of a zombie movie. Um, but yeah, so if you're in the L.A. area, just Google search Lethal Ladies of Horror, and I'm sure you can find it and find tickets if you want to go. Very, very cool. So we're going to close out the episode now, but after that, we're going to, of course, look forward to next week. We're also going to have a short spoiler discussion about the same storyline that happened in tonight's episode or last night's episode, um, how it played out in the comics, which was both very similar and very different at the same time. So if you want to hear that, stick around. We'll probably talk about that first and then next week's episode. But until next week, you can contact us by calling our voicemail line, 972-798-3830. That's 972-798-3830. Just let us know that you're calling for the Walking Dead TV podcast. Or you can send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Check out hhwlod.com or walkingdeadtv.com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Waste, The Long Box of Doom, The Black Box, Out Now, our brand new shows, Jersey Shore. It's not even really brand new anymore. I should probably remove the term brand new. Uh, but what is brand new? The Ichapod Cranecast or Shaken Not Stirred, our uh, brand new James Bond-centric podcast or the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Basically, if it's nerdy, if it's out there, we've got a show about it and you'll probably enjoy it. This is uh, actually Actually, the the three year anniversary of Out Now with Aaron and Abe this week. Wow! Congratulations! Congratulations. Yeah, um, we are we are we're we're we're, clo- we're closing in on our 150th episode, but it is technically our three year our, our third year of doing the show. So, congrats! That is awesome. This will be a day long remembered, <laughs> <laughs> at least until the fourth anniversary. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at WDTV Podcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. Aaron is at Aaron's PS4, A A R O N PS4. Yeah, yes, I guess there is an S. Is there an apostrophe? I guess you can't do that on Twitter. No, yeah, you can't. Yeah. So Aaron's PS4. Jim is at Yoda Jones. No S's, no apostrophes, except the S in Jones, of course. And I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey. No S's at all, which is good if the S on your keyboard is broken for some reason. There's an S in Jersey, I believe, but... Well, you... I've been drinking. What do you want from me? I'm not a smart man. Uh, So until there's no more room left in hell and the dead walk the earth, remember, ain't many guys travel around together. I don't know why. Maybe everybody in the whole damn world is scared of each other. Have a good week, everybody. And if you'd like to know the reference, read a book. So let's talk about uh, the Ben and Billy storyline from the comics. And I, I should say right now, I have not looked this up. I'm doing this from memory of reading it several years so ago. But I, one yeah. of my favorite subplots from the comic. We did have Ben, I believe, in the show. We had, uh, if you remember in, in the TV show, when Tyrese and Sasha got to the prison, they were with uh, Alan, Donna, and their son, I believe Ben. In the comics, you also had Alan and Donna, and you had their twin sons, Ben and Billy, but they were much younger, probably even younger than Mika, I would say, like maybe seven or eight, somewhere in there. This is all pre-prison, I believe? Or very early, because they're on the road, I believe, when this happens. Yeah. I thought it happened when they were in, like, the Woodland Hills or whatever, the the suburban area they were in before the prison. That's quite possible, and and would make sense. And I I believe by that point, or by the point where we're talking about, um, Alan and Donna were already dead, or at least Donna, maybe. Uh, But so you have these two young boys, 
And I don't think they really went the mental illness route that the show did, or at least not as strongly. It was more just, these are two young children, like I said, even younger than Mika, who just don't understand what's happening. But either Ben or Billy, I believe it's Ben kills Billy. Um, and it's right down to the same quote yes. from the show. Ben, does, ben um, does kill Billy, you're correct. Where it's, oh, sh- don't worry, he'll come back. I didn't damage the brain or I didn't hurt the brain. Because he just thinks his brother's going to come back and, you know, it's Walker's, what's the big deal? It's just a different way of living. And again, from my memory, the adults aren't really sure what to do. And I think they lock up Ben in a truck for the night and they kind of say, we'll deal with this in the morning. By the time morning comes around, though, Ben is no longer alive because Carl sneaks out in the middle of the night and basically tells his dad later, you guys couldn't come to a decision. You didn't know what to do. You didn't want to do the right thing. So I did it instead. And it's Carl who uh, who does what Carol does in this episode. So used to very different um, results because, you know, the, the thought, I mean, it's tar- terrible what Carol had to do, but you understand as an adult, this is just the type of thing that she might have to do at some point. Whereas with Carl, this was a major, oh my gosh, is something wrong with Carl? Or is he awesome? Or a combination? But just kind of a big WTF moment from the comics uh, as different than was here. But I really liked how they used it in both places. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where, like, I don't always, I don't get crazy excited about the show, like, sinking or, you know, directly tying into the comics necessarily. But I do acknowledge it and give it a, a nice uh, a nice salute when it does. And, yeah, the show has done a good job of kind of leading itself up to this similar point with obviously different outcomes, different characters, different contexts in general. But, I mean, it's it's nice. It's, it's kind of my almost preferred way to see it happen where you see elements of the comic come to life in this tv show but from entirely different perspectives or characters or whatnot so i hate to use the term because i mean commercially it gets so saturated but it is like a remix yeah you know it's like you're taking these themes and these ideas and kind of turning them around and putting them in a different context in different situations with you know i mean like like when we saw when the governor charged the prison i mean some of those, you know, shots were taken, you know, right, you know, frame for frame from the comic, but the context and the, the situation were entirely different. So, um, I, I, I appreciate that because I, I, I would, if it were slavish to the source material, it would be boring to watch. I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, even and I mean, obviously, some of like some of the people of the comments on the reviews of this episode are like, oh, I saw this coming because I remember the comic one. I mean, yeah, it's. Obviously, if you're a comic reader, you will, you'll be able to, and you know, you know the material, you'll be able to kind of get into the right mindset and understand where things are headed. But I'd still appreciate a show not, as you said, being you know a slave to the comic and just kind of referencing it in the ways that it can. I was actually wondering while watching the episode if they were going to twist it a little bit. Um, obviously, before we found Mika's body in the episode, but. They were building Mika up so much earlier on, and granted, that's also to make you feel sympathy for her when she's later killed, but it would also work if they did what I kind of for half a second thought they might, which is have her kill Lizzie, or some other twist on it like that, because you're expecting, if you're a comic reader, Lizzie to kill Mika or Judith, reversing it for some reason, um, because Mika also has issues, it seems, like not, or had, I guess, would be more technically correct, even if they're not as severe as her sister's, it was clear that something was a little off with her, um, as adorable as the actress is, and on Talking Dead, by the way, she is very loquacious, like, she has a great vocabulary, which I was amazed at, but I I was wondering if they were going to do something like that to mess with us a little bit. I mean, yeah, if my Carol theory's not coming to 
fruition, then there's not too many tricks up its sleeve that I can believe the show might have. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for the spoiler discussion. Uh, let's talk about next week's episode. Again, if you don't want to know anything about next week's episode, even the very vague uh, description we have from AMC, tune out now. We'll talk to you next week. But... Uh, the episode 415 is titled Us or possibly U.S. Uh, we can talk about that more in a week or two. But uh, episode 415, Faith Becomes a Survival Tool for Some Fighting to Stay Alive. And we know from scenes we've seen that this will be, at least in part, a Daryl episode. And we might remember they were in that uh, funeral home last week and uh, the the car that kidnapped Beth or took Beth away with it had a cross in the window, so cross, faith, maybe we'll see some Beth in there as well. The Pope-mobile. Pope-mobile, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> it's Cardinal Glick. <laughs> it's the bishop. <laughs> so that's it for this episode. Have a great week, everybody. And uh, just look at the pretty flowers. I'm so glad you guys did a Mortal Kombat commentary. I can't wait to listen to that. Oh, that was a fun one. It's very... That's one of my favorite cheesy movies from that time, so... It's a lot rowdier than a normal commentary, because we got the other... I was in the same room with the uh, the two guys I was doing it with, and Abe was oh, cool. on the um, thing with us also, and uh, they're, they're part of the NSFW Gamer Podcast, which is a... It's more it's more explicit than normal. <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. Huh? Well, I mean, they call themselves that. I would imagine they would be. Yeah. <laughs> Red Letter Media just released a uh, Ghostbusters 2 commentary track. Hmm. So I'm going to have to... I haven't seen Ghostbusters 2, but they just added it to, no, to Netflix, so I'll have to... Uh, I can't decide if I want to just watch it with the commentary or watch it first without... Watch it you've, never, you, you've never seen Ghostbusters 2? I hadn't seen Ghostbusters until about six months yeah, ago. So I recall. Yeah, I'd watch, watch it without first. Yeah, watch it without... Yeah, definitely. Listen, listen to Bill Murray tell jokes before you listen to other people talk about why Bill Murray's jokes are presumably not as funny, even though I don't understand that logic, but whatever. <laughs> I assume they're fans of the movie if they're doing the, the phrase, the well, phrase not funny and Bill Murray do not belong in the same sentence. I mean, even his, even the movie about the elephant was funny. I, I'm talking more just because these guys and what I know they like, uh, the relative media guys, not because oh. because they're doing comedy. I understand you just did Mortal Kombat, not because it's uh, an Artur... Uh, Tour de oh, I don't know about that. I, I did it because I like the movie. I still call it the best video game adaptation <laughs> into a movie there's been. But. It's super fun. I mean, it's a super, I mean, but yeah, I, it's Christopher Lambert as Raiden alone uh, sold that movie to me. You know, yeah. he's like, ha ha. You know, that's like half the movie. He's like, ha ha. Like he's tricking you with some sort of zen, but actually he didn't say anything. As far as Ghostbuster 2 go, there's a weird contingent out there that just doesn't think that movie's good at all. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised. There's a lot of fun to be made about it for some reason. I was actually zoomed out, so I couldn't tell exactly where I was on the timeline. Hey, you should really lay off that stuff, man. If you're zooming out already. <laughs> not cool. Whippets are coming back, man. I'm, I'm going to assume no. that was a Whippets reference, but I don't have, actually have any idea. What you say in the company is what you say in the society. Okay, I'm done. <laughs>
Tom Sawyer, he gets high on you.